All right, this is our final week of Advent. Um, we've been going through uh, the last several weeks. We had just wrapped up the Old Testament, and uh, we got into December and said, hey, it's a perfect time. We just got to the end of all the promises of the New Testament. Let's talk about Jesus, the fulfillment of that. And, and it's been cool. I hope that it's been helpful for you guys um, to spend some time thinking about this and that Christmas hasn't just kind of come and gone this year, but that it has been a little bit more impactful just because we've been able to spend some time really thinking about this time of year um, and, and everything that it means for Christians. Today we're going to talk about love, love that Christ shares with us. If if you go around and you just survey 100 people, most of the people I think you would find that, that would profess any kind of faith in God would, would probably describe his leading characteristic as love, particularly in our culture anyway. I don't know if that's the way it is all around the world, probably not. But for us, mostly everybody wants to say that God is loving. God is love. And that's, that's true, and we're going to see that here in a second. That, that is a biblical idea that God is love. But then if you start asking them specifics, like, okay, what, is, what does that mean then, that God is love? The answers that you're going to get that flow out from that are going to come from whatever their perception of what love is. So it might start to look different then if you start asking lots of different people. Um, they'll give you their version of what love looks like. And they'll start trying to define God by that picture that's in their head. The Bible has a lot to say about love. And let's just go ahead and turn to that verse, the one where it says God is love. You can find that in 1 John. I know it's kind of a weird Advent verse, right? Um, 1 John chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible and you need one, just raise your hand and somebody will get one. We have several extras uh, at the bar back there, so just let us know. But 1 John chapter 4 And we're going to start in verse 8. So John, this is written by John the Apostle, um, someone who who lived with Christ. He he was one of his disciples for three years. He he lived among him, heard his teachings, and, and absorbed everything that Christ had to say. And he is, of all of the disciples, he is one, he's probably the most focused on love, if not the in the entire New Testament. He's got Love is a theme just through all of his letters and the gospel itself. And you see that come through here just a little bit. In verse 8, he says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So he's affirming the idea that, that a lot of people want to have, that God is love. And here's how he describes it. In verse 9, he says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. So here it is. Here's the picture of God's love that he's going to show to the world that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is like, uh, it's a big word, essentially meaning that he has overcome the wrath of God. He's absorbed all the wrath of God for us and has taken on our punishment and and has saved us through that. So so John here is saying that God is love. In fact, yes, it's true. God 
is love. But if you want to see what that means, the specifics of that, it's all wrapped up in who Jesus is. God's love is made manifest in Christ, in the person of Christ, in what he's done. And so as we celebrate Christmas, you know, we have all of these different pictures, hope, joy, peace, and now love. I hope that as, as we now examine Christ's coming, we see it in, in, in a more specific detail. And in this case, that, that when we see Christ coming for us, we would see it as God's love being made manifest. Like in the flesh, this is God's love come down to and extended to us. So if we want to know what that looks like in even more detail, where you need to go is Christ, according to John. He's saying, if you want to know what love is, you look toward Christ. And so what does that mean then? What kind of love has Christ shown to us? Uh, the same thing is kind of said in uh, John 3.16, which everybody is pretty familiar with, right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That so there is, it doesn't just mean that he, he loved the world so much that he sent his Son, it's more descriptive than that. And some translations uh, deal with this a little bit differently. What it means there is that this is the sense in which God loved the world. So if he sent his son. So it's almost like in this way God loved the world that he sent his son. So it's kind of restating. And again, in the Gospel of John, we see this is the love of God being demonstrated to us, that he would send his son for us. So what... What does that look like then? The, fir the first thing that comes to my mind when I'm thinking of just Advent this time of year is just the humility that's there. The humility of, of how Christ came. And the fact that we celebrate during Christmas the fact that he came as a little baby. And he's born to this like really average, maybe you know, socioeconomically, maybe even below average family. Like, because they, they go to this town and they can't get anywhere to stay, and she's nine months pregnant, and they're like, what are we going to do? Like, if you're Joseph in that moment, well, let's go in the barn and have this baby. It's so weird that, that we, we celebrate this manner of coming, and I think that it demonstrates just the humility of Christ, and, and, and the, the picture of this love is that it's just so, it's so simple, like, astoundingly simple, <laughs> and and he, he, he comes, and he's born in this barn, and he lived, the way that he lives his life, he's not like some king. He's not, he's not some guy who's lording over everybody else, just pointing fingers and telling everybody what to do. He lives as a servant, and he makes himself a servant to everybody. He teaches. He heals people. He, he lays his life down rather than fighting for it. And so throughout his entire, in his coming and in his living and in his death, through the whole picture, you just see this, this, this concept that he, he's humble. And you would think if anybody deserved to be a little prideful, it would be Christ. And yet he comes in this really humble way, kind of inviting everybody, not trying to domineer everybody, but inviting everybody saying, come on, and, and I'm, I'm here to serve the world. So you get this picture that he is, he is humble. Also, you see that he is sacrificial. 
Um, Jesus himself describes what he thinks the greatest form of love is in John 15, verse 13. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And this is what Jesus does for us. He sacrifices himself and demonstrates for us the greatest kind of love that anybody can have. And and the crazy thing about this is that that act, that sacrificial act for us is merciful. In, in Romans 5, 8, it says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not just that he died. It's that he died even though we pretty much spit in his face and, and we killed him. And, and we as individuals sin continually, all the time. We get up and we sin. We go to bed, we get up the next day and sin some more. And like that's, that's, that's the pattern of our lives. And yet Christ comes not just to show us that kind of love where he would lay himself down, but he lays himself down for, for us when we didn't deserve it. And when, when we didn't really care and, and we just stomped on him and said that we would rather see him dead. And we ran away from God and he shows us his love by, by sacrificing himself and having mercy and grace towards us when we did not deserve it. He also shows his love in, in that it is, it is never ending. In Romans 8, and this is cool, Romans 8.35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's cool. So it's not, it's not just that it's demonstrated. It's that once it's received, it's something that cannot be wiped away. It's not something you have to stress out about. Like, does he really love me? If I sin again tomorrow, is he really going to love me? If I, if I struggle with things that are going on in the world and I just want to give up, is he still going to love me? If I'm broken, am I still loved by God? And, and the Bible says, yeah, yeah, because Christ's love is intense. It's, it's unrelenting. It's powerful. Nothing can stop it. He gives this entire list and he says, nothing, nothing, nothing in the world can stop Christ's love that he shares for us. That's cool. That, that's amazing. Because we can, we can stress out about it and, and we, can, we can wonder, does God really love me? I feel unlovable today. Like, I feel this way pretty often. Like, you screw up. I screw up with my kids constantly. <laughs> like parenting is just a lot of screwing up and trying to do better. And, and there, are, there are many days where I'm just like, man, I, 
I don't feel like I'm really demonstrating Christ-likeness today. And sometimes you just think, I don't really, I don't really deserve this. I'm a broken person, and I constantly struggle. But in those times, you can, you can look at verses like this, where it says that when God sets his love on you, his, his sacrificial, merciful love through Christ on you, it is not something that can be overcome by anything. It will be done, because Christ is going to do it. And so that's, that's comforting for us. It's also never-ending. 1 Corinthians 13 it talks about a lot of issues related to uh, spiritual gifts in the church and different, different manifestations of, of Christ in the world, uh, how, how we have different types of gifts inside of the church, like um, teaching and preaching and prophecy and healing and all these sorts of things. And he says that a lot of that is going to go away because when Christ comes, it's ultimately fulfilled. But there's one thing that we see now that is never going to go away. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, he says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So what he's saying is that right now we've got a lot of glimpses of things. And we get those through things like prophecies in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when we hear God speaking, revealing new things to us, giving us knowledge about things. He's saying that when Christ comes, that's what he's referring to when he says when the perfect comes, when Christ comes, a lot of those things we're not going to need anymore. You're not going to need me to stand up here and, and, and try to explain verses to you or any pastor because you're going to have Christ and he's not saying that knowledge in the sense that we're not going to know things. What he's saying is when, when Christ comes, everything's going to be perfect. And a lot of these things that we're used to now are just going to be, they're not going to be needed. Because it's going to be constantly in the presence of Christ. We're going to know who he is, what he looks like. We're going to know everything about him. But he's saying here that the one thing that, that you see now that, that is not going to end is love. This love that you have in the body of Christ, this love that you have through the body of Christ, is not going to end. It's going to keep going forever and ever and ever. So it's, it's never ending. It's eternal. One thing that, that I think is pretty cool, I'm going to get nerdy now. And I was like, how I, I, I wanted to avoid putting this in the a sermon but something big happened this week. Raise your hand. If you... uh, so, yeah, sorry. I won't spoil anything. Um, so I'm, I'm a nerd, and I try to hide it sometimes, and I don't do a good job. But that's part of the point. That's part of the point. Um, so this week, Star Wars comes out. And, and usually I'm not big on pop culture references, like from the pulpit. I'm not... A, I'm not I try to divide the two because I just hold them on like different, different categories of thought, I think. So just so you know, pop culture and everything in the world, we're down here, and Bible and God and everything else is up here. But I'm, I want to use this to make an illustration. So Star Wars comes out. And for me, this is a big deal uh, because when I was five years old, I remember seeing the first star, uh, one of the first Star Wars movies, and I don't think it was A New Hope. It was one of the other ones. Um, but, uh, but when I was little, like this just, 
captivated my mind, and it became a huge deal for me. Like, it just took off my imagination, and I, I became a fan of Star Wars for, for years and years and years and tried to grow out of it. Like, through, through, through my latter teens, after the prequels come out and you're just totally disappointed for the most part in those, um, you're like, I, I disown this fandom. And, but, and, and I thought, you know, I, I'm pretty much over it. But, but then you, see, you start seeing glimpses of, of this new movie, and, and I start freaking out. And the first, the first thing that I, I posted, I remember, on Facebook after they, after they revealed the first trailer, I was like, the eight-year-old in me is screaming inside. Like, screaming inside, because I am so excited about this. I am dying. So, so of course, I, I went on Thursday night, first showing. I, Stayed on the line, like hitting the refresh button, waiting for them to sell the tickets, and and went through the whole crash going going down because everybody's trying to buy tickets at once, and I, I struggled through it and I got the tickets and I was there and I saw it and I went I went nuts because it's awesome. And then afterwards I want to talk to everybody about it. I want to listen to other people talking about it. I'm not gonna say anything about the actual movie. What I'm saying is when we love something, you get excited about it. You get passionate about it. And, and you want to share it with other people. Like you can't, you, you don't want to keep it inside. And, and I know that your thing is not Star Wars. Probably most of you, your thing is not Star Wars. Maybe it's sports. I know that there's at least one of us here at Star Wars. Uh, but uh, maybe it's sports. Maybe it's music. Like a lot of the music that we sing up here, it happens as a result of this sort of process. Like Defender that we sang earlier today. Me and Nick, I don't know who else, but me and Nick are like, oh, King's Kaleidoscope, we want to sing that song, we love that song, and, and we try to share it with people, and then it becomes something that we sing here, and we want to express that, that excitement and that music, or whatever it is, whatever it is for you, when you love something a lot, you want to share it with people. And, and what I think is really cool, we've seen all these other evidences of Christ's love, one of them is that he wants to share his passion with us. He wants to share his love with us. And you see this in John 17, which is Jesus' longest prayer in the entire Bible. He's talking to God for an extended period of time. Turn over to John 17. He's talking in the garden just before he's going to die. So this is, these are like his last moments on earth. And he, he prays specifically for the disciples, the disciples that are there with him and the disciples that are going to come far into the future. In verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only. When he says these only, he has just prayed for the disciples around him. But he's also saying, I ask for these and also those who will believe in me through their words. So those who would believe in Jesus because of the word of the disciples, in other words, throughout history and throughout geography, those people who would believe, he's praying for them. Turn down to verse 24. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So he's setting up this, this thought that in the Trinity, in, in God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit, there is this love that exists from before time exists, before anything, before the world is spoken into existence, there's this love that exists in the Trinity between God and Christ. And what he prays, if you jump down to verse 26, he says, I made known to them your name. 
And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He's praying to God in his last moments. This, that is the last word of that prayer, longest prayer of Jesus recorded in the Bible, just before he's taken off to die. And the thing that he asked God is that he would make known the love with which Jesus and the Father have for one another, for everybody else. So he's essentially praying that love that they have between each other, that this passionate, perfect love would be extended to everybody. And so the way that we get excited about things, Jesus is excited. He's passionate about this love that he and the Father share. It's unique. It's something that only they share. And it's something that he wants to disseminate. He wants to get that to everybody. And so he's praying to God, saying, God, please make this love between us known in the entire world. And it says in other places that, in fact, the entire world will know it. People from every tribe, tongue, nation, all throughout history are going to know about this love because Jesus was, and the Father wanted to share it. This sacrificial, merciful, gracious, intense, unrelenting, powerful, never-ending love. They wanted to share it with us. And so when we consider this little baby Jesus during Christmas time coming to us, I hope that we see a picture of, of God in his love saying, I want to share this perfect love that I have with you. I hope that we see that. And I hope that we see the, the hope that's in that. The fact that before Christ comes, we have no hope. We are sinners, and God is not happy about it. But in Christ, we have hope because he says he's going to fix it. And I hope that we see the joy in that, that we feel some sense of joy because we see that we had nothing to be excited about before, but now we have Christ. Now we have a reason to get excited. And I hope that we have peace in that knowing that he is going to do everything that he said he was going to do. Even though we are broken people, we are ugly people, he's going to come and he's going to fix all of that and make everything perfect because he loves us. And now is our time to respond. Let's pray.